Alright, here we go. This is episode 28 of A Secret to Everybody, and I am back. Uh, just like last time, when we met a few weeks ago, I want to apologize for being gone for so long. Uh, it's the same story as last time. I was completely, super busy with school, uh, work, all that stuff. So, like I said, I like to make sure I type out some notes so that, not that I plan everything that I say, but I like to write out my thoughts so that when a funny idea or a particular way of saying something comes to me, that I can put it that way in the show, and if I don't write out good notes, I can't really do that. So, if I don't take time to write good notes, I get all, uh, 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 and then the show suffers. So, I want to make sure that I actually, you know, put the, put the work into it to make it good. So, I can do that now because I'm home for Thanksgiving for a week, so we will have a show this week. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get enough time away from doing all my stuff at school when I go back to do a show the next couple of weeks, and then I'll be home for a month for Christmas break after that. So... At worst, we'll be we'll meeting again in about three weeks. At best, hopefully, I'll be able to do one next week or the week after. Uh, so let's jump right into it. Um, we're going to talk about here. A lot has happened since the last time we met. Uh, mainly the release of the next gen, now the current gen console. So if you want to try to get used to calling them the current gen, the PS4 and the Xbox One. Uh, I can't comment much on either of them, to be honest, because I don't own either one. I believe I explained last episode, I canceled my PS4 pre-order about a month and a half ago because Watch Dogs got delayed and because of the situation at school where we have kind of shoddy internet, um, it's, it would be kind of hard for me to, my cat is currently trying to kill me, it would be hard for me to be able to play online um, reliably and that would not be something that I really wanted, you know, I, I've been, obviously I've been busy enough that I haven't been doing a show so I've been busy enough just trying to play a game or two on my computer or my PC, and you know, I've been playing through Banjo 2 again, like I said. So with that being said, I just thought if I get this now, I'm not going to be playing it very much. There's really not that many good games for it. You know, I'll wait a little bit until it grows into itself. So right now, I'm sad that I had to make that decision, and it was worse when it came out because I've seen all the pictures and feeling bad because I could have had mine. But I'm sad that I had to do it, but I feel like I did the right thing. Like, I don't regret my decision, but I'm sad that I had to do it. So, right now, my official stance on the PS4, and I guess the Xbox, but I really don't know why anybody would want one right now, to be honest. I mean, they both have a lot of missing features. Um, as time went on, it seemed to me like there was a lot of, you know, a little asterisk here saying that this wasn't going to be available at launch, fine print saying you have to pay for this, Xbox, things like that. So I feel like the Xbox is having more problems in that regard than the PlayStation. Also, a higher price tag, so it's a no-no for me. Um, if you have an Xbox One, I hope you like it. I'm not trying to trash anyone that buys one, but I just don't understand why anybody would want one, especially at this point in time. But anyway, my official stance on them is that they are... Both good systems with good potential, with really good potential, actually. I think once we start getting some more games, um, a lot, I think a part of the problem, as I've discussed before, I think I talked about this with Josh um, in the summer, was that you know publishers are making these games, and they want to have them on both platforms, because if they only put them on the old ones, people won't get to experience a new game with their new system. If they only put them on the new ones, they're leaving behind a bunch of people who aren't going to upgrade right away. So I think that it's a, it's a kind of an awkward time because almost every game you can get on the PS4 and Xbox One, you can get on the PS3 and Xbox 360, and it's almost just as good. So I feel like right now it's kind of an awkward transition period, and once we get some more games that are going to be next-gen exclusive, or current-gen exclusive, I should say, got to get in the habit of saying that, once we get some more games like that, I think it'll be way more worthy to own one. I've been hearing something about uh, Fallout 4 being teased, some site, I forget what the name of the site is, but if you go on it, it has Morse code beeping, and there's a timer counting down, and I saw someone post online that the timer, or the Morse code is beeping 
December 22nd, 2013. So if that's true, that'll be cool to see, because I'd be pretty excited for Fallout 4. Speaking of which, about new games uh, with Fallout 4, a new Crash Bandicoot game is kind of being teased. Uh, in a recent trailer for Killzone Shadowfall, which is a shooter on the PS4 that's one of the few exclusives, there was a little tease, again, I might be reading into it, but it was a, a three-part signpost on the street. The bottom contained an outline that looked very similar to Crash Bandicoot. Right above that was an arrow pointing up, and then the, the final sign on the post was an orange diamond looked like the old Sony logo. If you had a PlayStation 1, you probably remember that logo when you started up your system. So I think it's a little bit of a stretch, but it definitely could happen. They've been, you know, Crash Bandicoot hasn't really been doing a ton lately. I would be really excited for it because I love Crash Bandicoot on the PS1, of the original three games, and the Game Boy Advance ones are actually pretty good too for a mobile system. But recently, he's kind of gone down the path of, you know, getting into some crappier games and then not being around at all, sort of like Spyro. Uh, so I'd be really excited for that. So I'll keep you guys posted if I hear any more about Crash. Again, you know, it's very early in the system's life, so hopefully we'll be able to, as, as time goes on, we'll be getting new stuff, and maybe they'll, they'll re revive some old franchises, and that would definitely make it worth getting one for me. There's a lot I could talk about this week. Uh, I don't want this week to be all news, because last week was kind of a pseudo-episode that I kind of, or last time was kind of a pseudo-episode that I threw together, and then the, the last episode before the one I called Jerry Rigged was kind of all news, so I don't want to do all news this week. Um, like I said, I prefer to give a first-person perspective on things a little bit more than I do just kind of reading. Well, both ways, but in this case, I don't really want to try to give a first-person perspective on the new systems because I haven't even seen one in person, so I don't really want to take up your time with, like, you know, I could tell you what all these other different websites thought about it, but to me, the general consensus seems to be they're good systems, but you should wait on them. So, that's pretty much the news I'm going to give for this week. I do want to dev devote some time to a topic a little bit later to return to our normal format, since I had this week. I'm going to try to make this episode as traditional as possible. So, I mean, you can let me prefer. If you like more news, or if you like me to do a topic, or if you like me to do kind of a mashup, if you like me to highlight some things that have happened and kind of make fun of it, like I have with the Pizza Hut app and things like that, anything like that, you can let me know. Um, it's really easy. You can just leave a comment on this episode. When it goes up, just go to startselect.net under the podcast's drop-down menu. Just highlight my podcast, Secret to Everybody, of course, and then you can find this episode. It'll be listed in, alpha, or in uh, date order starting with the newest one, you can go right on there and leave a comment, or you can send it with your email, you can send it with Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff, and there's easy links to share it to that Adam's added recently that should make it easier if you want to share this with your friends, which I would appreciate. Or if you want to, you can contact 203-903-ASTE, 2783-203-903-ASTE, as always, that's just a Google Voice number, that'll go right to my phone, and I'll be able to see it, and I use that, I use that number to talk about the show, so I don't get much contact on there and I'd appreciate it so if you ever want to suggest anything or tell me something that you didn't like that I did or something that I liked that I did or anything just let me know so the main thing that I want to hit this week that's not the topic is something you can probably guess if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter it's Lobo Destroyo if I haven't explained it well let me now because I believe that I explained this once at the end of the summer because Adam told me about it but I never really took the time to sit down and explain it well because I didn't know much about it but I'm much more involved with it now so let me kind of explain what it is you know that I love Rare's games on the N64, the late 90s games Rare made, Banjo-Kazooie, Tui, DK64, I don't need to talk about that, you know I love them. Lobo Destroyo is aiming to be a game that is in the style of Rare's platformers of the late 90s. I'm really hoping that in spirit, Lobo's going to be Banjo-3, and that's a lot of pressure to put on it, but in what it, what it looks, again, I'm not, I don't want to put unnecessary pressure on it, but 
to, for what it looks like to me is that this game could, could be shaping up to be a spiritual successor to everything we loved about Banjo, or I loved about Banjo. So obviously I've been doing everything I can to help out Jamie and the project overall. Um, I, like I said, in, in August, Adam told me about it, and then they had Jamie on in August, pre-Kickstarter, to kind of talk about what was going on, and it, it made me really interested right away in that. And so the Kickstarter was originally going to launch on Halloween, October 31st, and they delayed it for a few days until the next Monday because they wanted to make sure they got the trailer just right, you know, to make that first impression and everything, which I totally understand. And so ever since then, I've been kind of communicating back and forth with Jamie. Um, we've been tweeting people, posting all over the place. It's really difficult to... And if you're listening and you follow me on Twitter or anything, I, I don't want to apologize because I, I, I post what I want to, but at the same time, it's difficult to share something and get the word out without being spammy at the same time. Like, I've tried to mix it up a little bit. I mean, it's hard when you have 140 characters and 20 of those are someone's username, and you have to have the link for the, for the page and everything. But at the same time, like, I want to share this with as many people as possible, because if you don't say anything about it, no one's going to know. But at the same time, I don't want it to be, like, every tweet I post is about the game. And I've tried, I mean, I think I've calmed it down. I've tweeted a few people here and there, waited a day, and then, you know, so I don't think I'm... I haven't been, like, 24-7 incessant spam or anything like that, but I just want you to know, it's we're really trying to promote as much as we can without being spammy. I think we're doing a pretty fair job overall to begin with. So anyway, yeah, Jamie's the creative director of the project, and he's the one that I've kind of been talking to. He's the one that runs Lobo's Kickstarter on Twitter. Like Lobo's t- uh, Twitter account, I should say, not Kickstarter. So the Kickstarter launched on November 11th. That is when they knocked it back to, I believe. Was it on the 11th? Yes, I think it was November 11th. And it ends in two weeks on December 11th, so it's a 30-day Kickstarter. As of right now, which is Wednesday the 27th, the game has $10,140 raised, and it needs 35000 So obviously, we need some more help. I've been reaching out on Twitter to a lot of people. It's actually kind of exciting. If you've friends with me on Facebook, you probably saw this. It's been working pretty well, surprisingly. I have gotten Grant Kirkhope who is a composer for both of the Banjo games and Perfect Dark, he retweeted my tweet about the game, which was really cool because he has a fair amount of followers, and after he retweeted it, probably 15 more people noticed it, so that's really cool. He, uh, Grant even told the composer for Lobo, who is at Gooseworks Music, G-O, excuse me, G-O-O-S-E-W-O-R-X Music, if you want to follow the composer on Twitter, he's a really cool guy too, Grant even told him that his music is awesome, and he because he he posted a sample of his music to Mr. Kirkhope and asked him what he thought of it. He, and Grant Kirkhope said it was really good, and he doesn't even need any of his influence because he's that good. So that that's really awesome. Grant Kirkhope's I don't want to say he's on board, but he's definitely shown his support for it. And so is another important guy in the banjo universe, Chris Sevor. You probably don't recognize his name off right off you know by hearing it, but you probably recognize his voice. He voiced Gruntelda in the banjo games. He was also the voice of Conker. So that's really awesome. I, I really didn't expect that. I mean, Chris Sevor, he tweeted me back and said, sure, I hope you guys are successful, and he even followed me, which is pretty cool, and Grant Kirkhope friended me on Facebook. So they seem like really cool guys. I'm really excited for that. And I didn't, I didn't even expect them to really care, to be honest. But, you know, that's really cool. I really appreciate that from both of them. So we've also gotten some shares from some other big names, uh, Chris Hoffman and Phil Theobald that used to be written registered for Nintendo Power before they closed it down. They, they didn't close it down, but before you know, Nintendo Power got shut down, they've both retweeted it for me. Uh, my friend Eric Bailey over at OneMoreCastle.com. So a lot of people have been tweeting about it, and I've been, you know, I've, I'm trying to tweet to people I, I, that follow me mainly, just so I don't want, or people I interact with regularly, like I usually respond when Chris Hoffman or Phil T post something. So I don't want to, like, be tweeting to random people that I, you know, just, I don't want, I don't want to be a spam boss, what I'm trying to say. 
But what I do want to say is this game needs your help, and I really can't stress this enough. There are awesome rewards in this game for you, uh, including the game's full soundtrack. You can get your name in the game, secret areas like the Ice Key. What it's going to be is if you're not if you're not a backer or you don't back enough to see the secret areas, you're going to be able to... It's going to be like a tease, kind of like the Ice Key in Banjo-Kazooie where you can see it but you can't reach it. But if you are a backer, you're going to be able to get to these secret areas so everyone else is going to know that they're there and be taunted by them, but you're the only one that can access them, so that's cool. And if you donate enough, you can even get a physical N64-style reproduction cartridge complete with a Lobo sticker and a, and a code for your copy of the game at the bottom where the pins would be normally on an N64 cartridge. So I think that's really sweet. These guys are... I, I didn't really explain this, but these guys are pretty much... They're, they're normal guys with jobs, but they want to do this kind of as like a love project. So they're not people from some big studio that are getting paid to do this. They're independent guys. And the reason that their project... You might think 35000 is low. You might think it's high. The reason it's 35000 is the Ouya console, which I haven't talked about but probably should at some point. Basically, the Ouya console is a... It's kind of an indie-friendly console, and again, the or I keep saying again, the Ouya console is not going to be a competitor to the PS4 and the Xbox One. It's basically a little box with a little bit of RAM that runs Android, and it's kind of like a custom indie-friendly console where it's very easy to get games on the Ouya. It's like $100 online, you can get it off Amazon or whatever, comes with a controller and everything. Basically, you just hook it up on your TV and you can play games. And the Ouya's thing is you can try before you buy. So you can pretty much play any game for a set amount of time, whether it's, you know, you can finish two missions, you can play for ten minutes or whatever, and then you can decide if you want to buy the game. So that's cool. But anyway, the people behind the Ouya, who are obviously indie-friendly, are doing this thing called Ouya's Free the Games Fund, where if you participate in this, basically the terms are, if you make a certain amount of money, they'll match it, and for every, I think, $10,000, that equals one month of exclusivity on the Ouya's console. So if we make $35,000 for Lobo... Ouya will match it, so we'll have 70000 and then they'll, it'll have to be exclusive on Ouya for a few months. I believe PC might might be excluded from that, so it can be on PC and Ouya at the same time. I'm not sure. You have to contact Ouya or ask Jamie. But anyway, so that's how we're going to be able to make the... Or, I, I, I'm saying we. I'm not involved in the game personally, but I'm trying to do my best. It's kind of like a marketing you know, type thing. I'm just doing it because I'm interested in the game. I'm not on the team or anything. I'm saying we because it's a you know crowdsourced project. But anyway, the game needs your help. You know, 35000 is not a whole ton of money. I mean, A Hat in Time, who, which is a similar game that I'm excited for, the same sort of style, they originally had 30000 as their goal, and they almost got 300000 by the time it was done. So it can definitely happen. Uh, I talked about the rewards. That's really cool. And even if you can't pledge money, just sharing on any social media would be fantastic. A quick tweet. Uh, all it is is, you know, at Lobo Destroyo on Twitter, L-O-B-O-D-E-S-T-R-O-Y-O. Lobo Destroyo on Facebook. There's a YouTube page with a few tech demos. Uh, you can even... What was the other thing? Oh, yeah. TinyURL slash dot com slash Lobo Destroyo. will take you right to the Kickstarter page. So you don't have to remember the long link for it. I've been really doing all I can, but any sort of sharing would be fantastic. I mean, if you... If someone sees it because you shared it, that really helps us out. And if you share on Facebook, there's a there's a picture on Lobo's Facebook page. If you All you have to do is share tinyurl.com slash Lobo Destroyo on Facebook, and you'll be entered for a chance to... To have your face appear in the game. Uh, you can check out what it actually is going to be on there, but Mutt, the main character in the game, is going to be collecting coins, kind of like Jiggies in the Banjo games, and there's going to be 90 of those coins, and each person that wins this this contest is going to have their face, their likeness on a coin. So that's really cool. Uh, it's free to enter. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a backer of the game to do that. So 
Bottom line, Lobo looks like a really awesome 3D collectathon platformer that has not been seeing love lately. If, they get an, if we get enough money, we'll be able to put it on the Wii U, PS4, Xbox One. A lot of people, the Wii U was originally the farthest stretch goal because Jamie thought that not a lot of people had a Wii U, but it turned out that a ton of people were pining for the Wii U. They wanted, you know, they said, we want the Wii U. This is a Nintendo, this is a Nintendo style game. We want it on the Wii U. So they readdressed the stretch goal so that the Wii U will be the first stretch goal after the thir initial 35,000 to get the game made. So, I don't want to keep repeating myself, and I will be still posting on Twitter until the day this is over, but please ch check the game out. If you do nothing else, just watch the trailer and think happy thoughts, I guess. I need your help. Uh, the creators need it. They really want to make this game. I think it looks awesome. I want to see it made, so I'm going to shut up about it now. Okay, the tech topic for this week is something that I just recently started. I, I tried it out before, but I had problems with the proxy at school. As I've explained before, the same problem I would have with trying to play games online. But I figured out how to make it fix, how to fix it. Either that or they changed it, so it actually did work. It's called Crash Plan, is this week's tech topic. Crash Plan is a free software that is a backup software. And what it is, is it is available as a free download if you go to Crash Plan's website. You can download the software for free. It's free forever. You don't have to pay for it. And with a free Crash Plan subscription, you get a few different backup options. You are able to back up to a folder on your computer. So you can, just like you would use Windows Backup or Time Machine on your Mac, you can plug your external hard drive in or your flash drive if you don't have that much data and just tell Crash Plan what to back up and throw it on there. You can do that. You can also back up to a friend's computer for free. Um, say you have a friend that has a lot of extra space or an external hard drive they don't have a lot of, uh, they don't have much on. Basically, you exchange some codes that CrashPlan gives you. You have to both install CrashPlan, and then you can back up to your friend's computer all the data you want. So it goes over the internet, it backs up to their external hard drive, and there it is. If there's ever a problem, you can get it back from them. Obviously, you have to have a friend that has a good amount of space and someone you trust for, for that, but it is free, and it's a cool option. You can also back up between your computers. If you have a, a bunch of different computers all registered on one network at your house, say... You can back up between those computers, so you could have one that just kind of sits there as a backup and back everything else up to it, so it's kind of cool. That is all you get for free with CrashPlan, but if you subscribe to a CrashPlan subscription, you're also able to subscribe to Crash, uh, back up to CrashPlan Central, which is in the cloud, which is pretty cool. That's where you can do an off-site backup, which they stress you can do an off-site, on-site, and cloud backup, and then you're completely, you're completely set. So the idea is you have your your data backed up in multiple places because I'm I'm really a an advocate of that having everything backed up like if if you don't have your data in at least two places then that's really asking for trouble. So you can't you know if you have something on your computer it's not good to put it on your external hard drive and say it's backed up because if your external hard drive fails then you have a problem. So what I would suggest is if you have on-site, off-site, and, and online, which means you have it on your computer, you have it on an external hard drive, and you have it on CrashPlan Central. You have a 99% bulletproof backup, because the odds of all three failing are pretty poor. You could have your computer die and your external hard drive die, and then you could just reinstall CrashPlan and put it all on there. It's highly unlikely that they're, they're going to have a problem. So all in all, even if you don't... It, it, I 100% I advocate backing up your computer all the time. It's There's too much we do on our computers, whether it's your music collection that you have to all re-download from iTunes, or all the CDs you've imported if you've been around for a little bit longer, or you know your, your vacation photos, photos of your kids, whatever, things like that. So 
I really think that it's a good idea to have everything backed up, and it's a really good idea. I've, I've for a while, been wanting to, to get CrashPlan because I've been wanting to back up to the cloud because I just feel like, you know, the, the nice thing about backing up to the cloud with CrashPlan is, too, it does it for you. Like, with an external hard drive, I have a laptop, so my, my external hard drive is not always plugged in. So if I forget to plug it in one night, I don't back up. You know, I do that for a couple of weeks, and then a, a problem happens. My backup is a month old, and then I lost all the things I did in the last month. I have CrashPlan set to back up every five minutes, so, every, you know, the most, the the worst that can happen is I'll lose five minutes worth of, of work. So overall, I think CrashPlan is a really good solution. Their prices are really good, and you can get even more money. You can get even more money off if you subscribe for a family. Uh, it's about, let's see here, if you subscribe to a year of CrashPlan, it's about it's sixty dollars for a year, or you can do five dollars a month, or you can do multiple computers if you do a year of family. That's one hundred and fifty dollars, and free is always free. Like I said, so you can check that out, uh, CrashPlan.com. And I think it's really cool. Again, I'm not, I'm not paid or endorsed or anything like that. I, this is just stuff that I think is cool, and I think you guys should take a look at. So if you haven't been backing up your computer and you have some aversion to Windows backup for some reason, I would definitely check it out. And CrashPlan is available for Windows, Mac, and Linux, so there's no problem with your operating system there. And they even have mobile apps where you can take a look at what you have backed up. For your, on your iPhone or Android, you can take a look at what you have backed up to make sure that it's there or to fetch it or anything like that. So if you need a backup solution, I would highly recommend CrashPlan. I've had it for a couple of weeks, and I've really been liking it. Okay, let's get into our topic for this week. I know we've been talking for quite a bit there, but, you know, I wanted to do a longer episode if I could while I'm here. So this week, I was going to, I had a couple different ideas in my head, but then it hit me. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time just turned 15 on Saturday, the 23rd, that's the North American release, it turned 15 on the 21st, which was Wednesday, um, for, that was, that was a Japanese release, but let's, you know, the North American release, whatever, two days, so it's 15, it's 15 years old, and I want to celebrate, because Ocarina of Time is probably my favorite game ever, I know that sounds kind of cliche to say, but I've really been thinking about it, and for reasons I'm about to give you, I really think Ocarina of Time is my favorite game ever, and, we're going to look at 15 of them. So these are in order. I know some lists I do are in no particular order, but this list is in kind of an order. And some of them, I, some of these reasons are more personal, like things that the game means to me, and some of them are kind of generic. I, I kind of wanted to stay away from, you know, the sound, the music, the graphics, the story. The, you know, I, I don't want to be, like, generic. So some of them are generic, and anyone can appreciate them. And some of them are personal to me. You may or may not have experienced them. So let's remember this gem from 15 years ago. And like I said, these are in these are in an order. It's a loose order because you could shuffle some of these around, and it's kind of hard to compare personal experience with, you know, hard-standing things. But whatever. All right, number fifteen. The first one we're going to look at is the fact that it's become the standard for Zelda games. So I know this isn't really something that Ocarina itself did well, and this reason is honestly just the logical implication of the other 14 reasons we're going to list, but it's still something to consider. I mean, whenever someone mentions a Zelda game these days, a lot of people compare it to Ocarina of Time. You know, if you're talking about, you know, a new, I got the new Zelda game, how's it like? Is it like Ocarina of Time? Or anything like that. A lot of people even compare adventure games that aren't Zelda to Ocarina of Time. You know, it's the Ocarina of Time of whatever. I think that means something. When, I, when, a, when, a, when some, a game or movie or whatever becomes like, you know, he's the... Uh, you know, like people say he's the Tiger Woods of whatever, like that that kind of thing. Ocarina of Time is kind of like that for video games. I think that means something. I don't think the comparison is going to change anytime soon, myself. But that's kind of a smaller reason, so let's move on. That's why it's so low on the list. Number 14 is the fact that it's just still, it's still just as fun to play through every time that you do. 
So there's a lot of good games out there that are a blast to play through, but once you finish them, you really don't feel the need to play them again. I mean, sure, like a game like Fallout, Fallout 3, for example. I love Fallout, I have it, I could probably put 100 more hours into it, I haven't played it nearly enough. But, I mean, it's kind of a different experience, because Fallout's such a massive game, and you can play it for a, a long time. But... It's not like, as soon as you finish Fallout, you want to sit down and play it again, because it's so long. But Probably I'm comparing apples to oranges here, but there are a lot of, even some games, you know, some games are like a chore to finish. Like, you play them just because you want to beat them. To me, that's not the case with the Ocarina of Time. Every time I play this game, I really have a blast doing it. I mean, you know, there's some annoyances, like some of the bigger cutscenes with, with text you have to go through. Deku Tree, I'm looking at you. That can be tedious after having played the game half a dozen times. But it doesn't make me want to play it really even less. I mean, key parts of the game are still a blast, and I still always miss the key in the Water Temple. So, you know, it's it, it's still fun every time. It's not like it becomes a chore after you play it once or twice. It's still an experience when you go through it again. Number 13 is its limited graphics. This might sound counterintuitive, and it kind of ties in with some of my other reasons, but it's not really quite as important because the game is older, and at the time the graphics were awesome. But I think, even though today... We might snicker at some of the pre-rendered backgrounds that the game contains, or think some of the enemies look silly, or you know some of the facial expressions are kind of glitchy or whatever. I don't think it detracts from the game, but really adds to it. I mean, there's something about a game that has what we would consider today to be you know not realistic or anything graphics, but there's still a sense of immersion. And that leads me to my next point, number 12, is the atmosphere. In my opinion, each temple in this game is creepy and atmospheric in its own way. I mean, the Shadow Temple is dark, I mean, there's execution equipment all over the place. I mean, they really couldn't have gotten much more intense with the game without raising the rating up. I mean, the bottom of the well, and there's skeletons sitting around, and, you know, bloody scythes and stuff sitting all over the place. I mean, the forest temple, it feels eerie and forgotten. You're in the halls of almost like some overgrown, you know, chapel or something, it feels like. I'm sure you don't forget the first time you went into the market after pulling the Master Sword. You go out and there's redeads everywhere and you think, what happened to all the people here? You know, all the buildings are all dilapidated and things. I think this game's atmosphere really got it right. Every new area you go into has something new to show. You know, when the Gorons are depressed because they can't, because they're starving, or they're all, you know, they're all being fed to the dragon, that really comes through when you come back as an adult. When you're in Jabba Jabba's belly, you feel like you're in the belly of a, you know, I mean, obviously that's unrealistic, but you know, there's stuff, there's guts and stuff everywhere, and you know, when you, when you hit the wall with your sword, it pulsates like he can feel it. You know, things like that, I really think this game has a sense of immersion. Number 11 is the transition from 2D to 3D. This might seem like a minor point, as today most of our games are in 3D, and because Mario 64 did it so excellently just a couple years earlier on the N64. But think about this. Before Ocarina of Time, Zelda was always a 2D series, kind of like Metroid before Metroid Prime came out. So, there was a reason for people to be nervous. I mean, Zelda had grown into an excellent series, but it was only 2D. Before Ocarina of Time came out, A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, on the Super Nintendo and Game Boy, respectively, were the newest entries, and they were both good games, but they were both 2D. It really could have been a problem. I mean, you know, you see this game and you think, okay, I've always played Zelda in 2D, what's it going to be like in 3D? And again, this impact was kind of lessened because Mario 64 did so well, so it was less of a risk, but it was really a big transition for people, just like people thought Metroid couldn't, might not be as good when it was in 3D. If you want to see the polar opposite of this good transition, take a look at Bubsy 3D. I enjoyed the Bubsy games on the Super Nintendo. I don't know if that's just nostalgia or what, but I, I did enjoy them. I never even knew Bubsy 3D existed until I started watching some videos online. Oh my goodness. Just look up Bubsy 3D online and you will laugh your head off. I'm glad I never played that game because it would have shattered my opinion of Bubsy forever. 
Number 10 is the traveling through time mechanic. I didn't really play many video games before Ocarina of Time, so I can't say for sure if, if the time travel thing was played out yet, like it kind of is today, everywhere, but I certainly think this game did it well. The child portion of the game, it serves as a good introduction. The first three dungeons really aren't too difficult, but you feel like, you know, they feel more equipped for a child than an adult. You're in more tame locations, or whatever you want to say. I think the game did that well, and the game even requires you to go back in time to progress sometimes. Like when you have to go into the well, for example, to get the Lens of Truth so you can go into the Shadow Temple as an adult. I don't think this really ever becomes overbearing, which is important, because constantly moving back would get really annoying. Like, if you had to do it every time to get into a temple, it would get really tedious. But the game plays it extremely well. I think, like, the Spirit Temple is really cool, because when you go in for the first time, you're stuck, and then you realize you have to come back as a kid, because the song you just got lets you warp back as a kid, since it's, you know, technically impossible to get there as a kid, even though it's not with glitches. But I really like, also, how certain items you earn as a child are unusable as an adult. Like, Adult Link can't use the slingshot. Is it too small for him? Is it just too childlike for him? I don't know, it's kind of cool. Uh, number nine is the, is the difficulty level, how it's just right. It's another minor point, but I think it's a good one to bring up. The game, this game gives you nods on what you should be doing, like Navi popping up and saying, like, suggesting, you know, I feel a chill coming from Zora's domain, or what would Sarah, I think, if we told her we were going to save Hyrule, things like that. But it gives you an open world to, fit, to explore and find out for yourself. There's not a whole lot of invisible walls forcing you to go the right way, but rather, when you go somewhere, you'll jump over, you know, you'll, you'll go over a fence and you'll go there and think, oh, I can't really do anything here, and maybe you'll even find, like, a piece of heart or, like, a minor character or a side quest or something, but you'll know that's not where you're supposed to be. And so if you want to wander around and figure it out for yourself, you can, but it's not like the game is saying, go here, go here, go here, go here, and constantly yelling at you, telling you where to go. I also think the difficulty curves well, too. It's never so easy that you just fly through. It's kind of hard to say because I've played the game so many times I practically haven't memorized, but especially as a first-time player, you don't just fly through between having to figure out what you're doing, you know, in, in the sense of where to be and figuring out puzzles, and also, you know, the difficulty of the fights and things like that. So you don't just blow through it, but it also won't make you spend three days on one section because it's so difficult. So I think they got that just right. The fishing minigame is number eight. I don't know if I'm the only one that loves this, but I do. I, there's something about trying to catch that fish to win the scale. It's just so much fun. I don't know if it's because I used to play it with my with my friend, and we would just sit there and fish, or the music that plays when you do it, or the fact that you can swim and make them all run away. I, I really don't know. The fishing simulator in this game is not particularly advanced or complex at all. I mean, if you want to do that, you have, or you know, there's obviously games for that, but even Twilight Princess had a fishing part where you can actually you know throw the Wii Remote to fish. But I, th I just think it's fun. I've always found this part fun. And also, finding the sinking lure, in this, you know, it's illegal to use that, and convincing the owner to let you use it is fun, too. And then you can throw it out and just catch fish super easily. I don't know. I've always just enjoyed that. It's completely optional, but I've always had fun with it. Number seven is how, it's, how it is held up over time. This one is kind of a combination of some other points, like the graphics and the replayability, but I do think it's important. This game would hold its own against any other single-player adventure game of its type today, I think. Obviously not a game like Skyrim, because it's a massive game with so much to do, but it's a different type of game. I think it says something about a game when its 15-year-old control scheme, graphics, and sound effects are still considered some of the best ever. And if you somehow haven't played this game, the other nice point about this one is it's available everywhere. There's a GameCube version you can play with Master Quest on it, which is just a rebranding of the game. It's the exact same game, except the dungeons are a lot more difficult. So the outside is the same, the story is the same, everything like that. You can play it on the Wii Virtual Console, and therefore the Wii U. And it's also available in 3D on the 3DS. So I think that's really sweet, and if you, know, if you haven't played it, it's available for you to play. 
Number six is the fact that it's one of the first games I remember playing and understanding. Obviously, this is a more personal one, and it's kind of nostalgia speaking, just like with Banjo, but it is important to me. This game is one of my earliest memories in gaming. I did share about how when I, when I got my first Game Boy on one of my earlier episodes, and I got Wario Land. That's the first game I ever had for myself. But I remember watching my dad play Ocarina of Time on the N64, and I played it on there too. I don't know if I beat it or what. I couldn't even read then, so I, who knows what I did. But I've played through this game probably a dozen times, and at least two of them with my best friend, which was a blast. And I'll continue to play this game as long as I can. I mean, I played the Uber Challenge version on an emulator last spring, like I talked about in my very first episode, and I could already play through it again. I mean, it hasn't even been a year, and I could play through it and just still have a blast. I know nostalgia helps in this aspect, and I'm not sure of how much of my love for this game is nostalgia, but it's an important force to me. Number five, is back to the technical side, is the fluid controls. Uh, this goes along with the transition of 3D, because, you know, it could have looked good in 3D, but handled like crap. You know as well as I do that eh, controls can ruin an otherwise awesome game. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I'm sure you can. This was really important, and Ocarina of Time introduced Z-targeting, and it is such an important mechanic in a 3D game. Z-targeting ensured that you wouldn't be left to walk all over the place not being able to aim at what you want to hit. If you're not familiar with the game, basically, the Z button was the button underneath the N64 controller, and when you Z-targeted, if there was an enemy, or a signpost, or a person around you, Navi, your fairy, would fly over their head, and you would hit Z, and it would lock onto them. And you could make it so you can make it hold or, or switch, where you had to hold Z to lock on, letting go would drop it, or you, you hit Z once to lock on, and hitting it again would drop it, whatever your preference was. I preferred hold. But, that really... You know, without that, it would have been really hard. Think about aiming at enemies or trying to talk to people that are farther away. I mean, the game even gives you a little tutorial in the beginning of the game. You can't go to the shop without using it. You know, even with a single control stick of the N64, I think it worked really well, which just helped. The whole thing kind of came together to help like that. Another good choice of the controls was the use of the C buttons. Having three items available at once was a good idea, and it kept from having to pause too much, except for those iron boots in the water temple. And this is kind of a tangent, but about the Water Temple real quick. I don't think the Water Temple is that difficult. Okay, sure it's tedious, it's annoying, no one likes it, you always miss that one key, and you get through like four locked doors in a row, and then realize you have to go all the way back and change the water level. That's what's annoying, it's tedious. It's not really difficult. Like, it's not like you have to spend hours, like, figuring out where to go, or you can, like, accidentally you know, lock yourself out because there's not enough keys. Like, it, I wouldn't use the word difficult. I'd use the word tedious to describe it. Just a tangent. Number four, I discover something new every time I play it, I think. I'm telling you, I think every time I play this game, there's something I find out that I did not know about it before. And again, it's usually little stuff like one of those secret holes in the ground I didn't know is there that you can bomb, and then there's the, you know, the gossip stone and stuff in there. Or in the case of my most recent playthrough with the Uber Challenge, I did not know that you could shoot the Gerudo guards with arrows. If you do that, they'll fall over and, you know, get knocked out for a second. I did not know that until I played through the game this time. And I've played through this game probably a dozen times. That would have made things a lot easier for me in the past. But anyway, I like finding new things out about things that I like. And I know it sounds dumb, but even sometimes something about the story clicks to me like it never did before. Like, I'm like, oh, that's why Link did that, or oh, that explains the background here. I know it's kind of dumb, but, you know, it's kind of like every time you play it, a new piece of the puzzle is revealed to you. And, again, usually it's small stuff, like a little hole in the ground I didn't know I was there, or, like, a person that I didn't realize they said that if you talk to them twice, things like that. But, I don't know, I find it cool. It's like a little bonus for playing it again. I wonder what I'll find out next time I play Number three is the fact that it can be played through in different ways. For example, the Three Hearts Challenge or the Uber Challenge. Play through this game once, 
play through it again on Master Quest. Play through it again and make sure you got 100% of all the heart pieces, bottles, and you finish the entire Happy Mask side quest. There's still more ways to play, unofficial. Try playing the game with only three hearts for the entire time, never pick up a heart piece or a heart container after a boss. Or do like I did, the Uber Challenge, with no shield, the broken, giant, the broken giant's knife, uh, no use of Din's fire except for certain places, and so many other restrictions. Hey, it's insanely difficult, but it's a blast if you're a veteran of the game. I wouldn't recommend the three heart challenge or the Uber Challenge, at least you've beat this game at least two or three times and are familiar with the general layout of what you're supposed to do already. But let me tell you, it's just really a blast to try to play through the game in a really difficult way. And the, and the, and the three the three heart challenge, you play through in the normal order. You know, you don't have to. There's only really no. You can make it as hard. You know, you can do, you can add difficulty to the three heart challenge. You could do no fairies, no potions, things like that. The Uber challenge is a challenge made by someone online on GameFAQs with a with a specific set of rules what you can and cannot do. And that one, you have to take advantage of glitches to get all... I mean, I learned so much in in my in this playthrough because of all these glitches I didn't know about. Like, ways you can skip parts of the game, or ways you can get into a dungeon without doing the official way. Like, for example, you can, as you're, when you're a child, you can skip the Gerudo's Gate, so you can get into the desert as a kid, and therefore walk to the Spirit Temple as a kid. Things like that. It's a lot of fun. I wouldn't recommend it if you haven't beat the game a couple of times. But, you know, if you're itching to try to play the game again, try something try something new. Check it out. Number two, and this is kind of a generic one, but I had to say it, it's the awesome music. I, I typed these notes on Monday, and as I sat there typing them, I was listening to some of the music from the game uh, online. From the Forest Temple, one of my favorites, and one of my favorite dungeon music, and one of my favorite music in the game, to Zora's Domain, it's calming. This game's music is simply fantastic. I mean, I know I'm a geek, I listen to video game music, but I enjoy doing that, so who cares? But it's fantastic. As you know from my recent outro music, there are awesome remixes of pretty much any video game music, too. I really like the metal mixes. Um, we have one coming up here that's not a metal mix, but I sometimes imagine playing this game with the music off completely. It would not be the same at all. I'm not saying, it wouldn't, I'm not saying the game is, is, is only good because of the music, but the music is irreplaceable in this game. Every track in, in this game matches its environment perfectly. I really can't say much more about it. Just go online and listen to it. Go listen to a few tracks. I mean, it, the dungeons are all perfect. Uh, it's 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 fantastic. I, when you're still listening to that music 15 years later, and it was made on on the 16 or 64-bit graphics, you know there's it's good. And number one is a personal one. It's the sense of emptiness I feel upon finishing it. This sounds kind of weird, but when I finish this game, I feel a little bit sad. Uh, I can st- I start feeling it once I get to the Spirit Temple, which is the last temple if you play in the normal order. I know after I finish the game, after I finish the Spirit Temple, it's right to Ganon's castle, do all the trials there, and then and then you get you know the game's over. I'm not saying I have to play this game to be happy or anything weird like that, not at all. But I can't really describe it well. But this this game is just such a core piece to my love of gaming. I really can't say much more about this because I don't really understand it. But when you don't want a game to end, it is a good sign that you love it. Like I said, when I play this game, I just feel like. When I'm playing, when I'm in the process of playing this game, I just know that I get to play it. You know what I mean? Like, I, whenever I'm doing it in my day, when I sit down and play it for a little bit, I know that I'm going to be playing Ocarina of Time, and that, that's that's awesome to me. Uh, it sounds weird, but it made my list. So, those are my 15 reasons. Uh, you can agree with them, you can disagree with them. If you want if you want to, if you want to raise your own, if I miss one, uh, you can let me know in the comments in this episode, or text the number, like I said earlier, 203-903-ASTE. I do feel that today we need to close with an Ocarina of Time remix. So here's Party in the Shop, which is a remix of the shop theme 
uh, in Zelda uh, in Ocarina of Time. It's by Dr. Fruitcake from uh, OverclockRemix.com that I've used before for some different remixes. I did want to include some uh, music from Lobo Destroyo as well from the composer there. I, I did... I. When I started recording this, I was going to say no, because I, I don't want to break any rules, but Jamie did message me back and say that's okay. So I'm going to include, I'm not sure what track I'm going to include yet, I'll probably do either the the Hub Overworld track or the title screen track. Let's go with the title screen. I will do the title screen track from Lobo Destroyo, which is which one, you know, when, you, when it says press start. So you're going to hear the title screen track from Lobo Destroyo first, and you're going to hear the Ocarina of Time remix, Party in the Shop by Dr. Fruitcake. Um, it's good to be back, guys. Thanks for listening and bearing with me. I'm really sorry uh, for all the mess we've been going through with, you know, me missing and things like that. I'm not, I'm not going away. I still like doing the show. I want to have content. So if you have any ideas, please let me know. And in the meantime, uh, be sure, if you want to, to support the site, we do have the Start Select Swag Shop going on. Of course, you can buy one of my shirts, one of the other guy's shirts. Um, you can listen to all the old episodes of my show or some of the other shows. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. It's facebook.com slash startselect.net and Twitter at startselectsite. Uh, where there's also something called Sprinkler we're on now. I'm not totally sure what that is, but if you go to the Start Select's Twitter, there'll be a link to that. And it's basically, I think if you follow us on there, we have better a better chance of becoming... On some on some podcast list somewhere, I'm not totally sure what it is, but that would help the other guys out. And hopefully, we'll be able to get some guests on here soon. I was hoping maybe I could ask Eric, my friend, my the retro gamer friend, if he would be on, or possibly Jamie from Lobo Destroyo. Um, he told me he would be on this week, but I wasn't sure when I was going to record. I didn't really want to constrict him, so that would be cool. So I will see you guys soon. Please check out Lobo Destroyo. Like I said, even if you can't give money, we would just appreciate a share or a good word about it. And thanks so much for listening, and I will see you guys next time, and have a happy Thanksgiving.